Galatians chapter 2, if you would take your Bibles, please, and turn with me there. Um, It is a delight today to be together um, in God's house. If you are visiting with us, a special welcome to you. It says in God's Word that whatever we do, whatever we do, whether you eat or drink, you do everything for the glory of God. I don't know about you, but that that makes me want to move very carefully and very slowly uh, as we speak, as we sing. Um, It is our goal together this morning that God is glorified in all things. With that thought, let's let's bow our heads together and ask God's blessing uh, upon our time as we learn this morning. Father, as we come before you, we are most grateful for the fact that we come directly to a holy and a sovereign, a mighty God because of Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. We thank You, Lord, that when we put our faith and our trust, when we offer our lives completely over to You, that through, Lord, the amazing miracle of a perfect life that has been lived and has been sacrificed on the cross is sufficient for our sins and that justification takes place, that you see us, Lord, as your own sons and daughters, and we thank you for that. God, as we learn this morning from your word, I would ask that you would allow me to simply be a vessel that is filled up by your spirit and poured out for your glory. I pray, Lord, for your perfect will to be accomplished, not not only today in, in this house of worship, but Lord, in this community, that the message would go forward and that good news would change lives and hearts. Guide us now as we learn, keep our minds sharp and attentive. We ask this in, in the strong name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Um, I I don't know about you, but I I continue to ask the question, how does this this thing here, this church thing, how does it work? Why, Why does it continue to work? Why is it that you set your alarm on a Sunday morning, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, you, you, you wake up, you brush your teeth, hopefully wash your face. And, and why is it that you come here and, and we sing songs? And, and why is it that we give money in an offering plate and, and open up God's Word? Why does this work? Why do we even outgrow a building? How come this thing works? And how has it worked for thousands of years? I gave that a lot of thought this week, and it really comes down to three key components. We know first and foremost what? The Spirit of God exists right here. Literally, God's presence is with us. That He he reigns sovereign over everything, that His perfect will is going to be accomplished. Component number one, we know the Spirit of God exists. We know what? We have with us the Word of God. This is our authority. We have a high view of Scripture. Everything that we, we teach and say rises and falls upon this. And then there's, there's a third component that, that, that you and I delight in, in addition to the Spirit of God and the Word of God, and that is what? That's, that's who's sitting in front of you and behind you. 
next to you. It's the people of God. It's us sharing life, doing life every single day. It's a willingness to what? Speak into to, to, to one another's lives. And it's a willingness to hear someone else speak into our lives. That, that is so important, especially in light of the fact that we are, we, we are called to speak truth. I, I, I thought about this by way of an illustration. This has happened. It's not just happened to me. It's happened to you on numerous occasions. You're out, you're out to breakfast with, with someone. And, and you enjoy conversation, and you're enjoying food, and, and inevitably it happens. You know it happens. It's happened to you. The guy that you're having lunch with, he's got, it's like right there, it's some egg on his face. Now you're immediately faced with the decision here. Wow. If I tell him he's got egg on his face, he's going to be kind of embarrassed by that. But if, if I don't tell him he's got egg on his face, then he's going to walk out there and the whole world's going to see he's got egg on his face. So we go through this whole wrestling match. And you know, if it's, if it's someone that you care about, this is my brother, you've you, you got to tell him the truth. You've got to tell him the truth. I, I had that happen before, and I told him, I said, hey, man, you got, you got a little, this is actually cream cheese, you got a little cream cheese right there on your face. He said, I'm so glad you said that. Thank you so much, because you got strawberry jam right there on your chin as well. <laughs> this is living life every day. This is, a, this is what, it's, it's necessary to speak into one another's lives, because we need one another. Let's, let's, let's talk about this, Galatians 2, what's been happening here. There's been significant meeting that took place the last time we were together. We know that Paul and his men and Peter and his men met. There's, there's somewhat of an attack that's going on, an attack from without. Judaizers, false teachers are coming in and they're trying to, to say you, you have to add good works to the message of salvation that is by grace through faith. No, you've got to do that. And, 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 and add to it this attack of false teaching from without, this meeting which is now referred to, we understand, as the Jerusalem Council. And, and, and although there's false teaching that is attacked from without, it actually draws Peter and, and Paul closer together. There's a sense of oneness. There's a, a singleness of heart. There's a unity that was present. At the end of the meeting, we literally saw last week what? We, we shake on it. There's the right hand of fellowship. It draws us closer together if we are attacked from without. And so we say, thankfully, everything is wonderful. All is well, right? That's when we need to be careful. When things are going smoothly, when you think things are going good, I believe we must be more alert than ever. We can never think that, well, that's, that's not when Satan's going to attack. No, that, that's exactly, that's precisely that's the time when trials are going to come, problems will arise. That's the time that people get egg on their face. Our attention this morning focuses on a controversy. And it's not a controversy this time from without of false teaching or false doctrine that is being pushed on them. It's actually a controversy from within the early church. We know Paul is the author here. He writes the book of Galatians, and he actually records very specifically 
a shortcoming, a stumbling, so to speak, of the Apostle Peter, who is behaving inconsistently, or to put it bluntly, Peter is behaving sinfully. The Apostle Peter fails to model biblical truth and total integrity. I don't know if you've noticed enough, but the Word of God is filled. It is unflinching in its portrayal of human shortcomings. We love, we, have, we, we love to elevate someone and say, well, that one right there, just right there, they're light shining bright on them. They are so spiritual. Whoa, be careful. Be careful with that. Here's our text. Follow along. Galatians chapter 2, pick it up in verse 11. We'll read down through verse 21, the end of chapter 2. Here it is. But when Cephas, this is, if you recall, Peter, But when Peter came to Antioch, I, Paul is writing, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. He explains it. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I may live, I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Two main points I want to give to you this morning. The first one is this. Peter deviates from the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is always what? Justification comes through the work of Christ, not through the works of man. So Peter actually, he, he, he deviates from the truth of the gospel and he stumbles and he sins. Now, this is hard to say it, but it's absolutely truth. And you have to understand Good men, good and godly men and women can 
and will go astray. It's sad to say it. It's, it's sad to hear it. Now, there's no doubt that, that Peter, in a sense, he towers over the landscape of other biblical characters. He's, he's Peter. He's big and bold and he's brave and he's loud. And yet we see him today and he's kind of, he's kind of vacillating. He's kind of moving, being tossed to and fro by the winds. There's no doubt that Peter at one time was empowered by God. Acts chapter 2, it says this in verse 14, but Peter standing up, lifting up his voice. Holy Spirit filled him, preached the message. Thousands respond to that. That's not the Peter that we see today. Here's what happened. Here's here's the, the context, the narrative. Peter has come to Antioch from Jerusalem. And he is enjoying what all of us have the liberty to enjoy, and that is Christian freedom. It is grace. And he is eating, and he is fellowshipping, and he is delighting in the company of Gentile believers. You know what I think he's doing? It's a shrimp ring. That's what it is. He got a really good deal on a shrimp ring, brought it to the party, and you know the little, and you dip him in the little cocktail sauce. This is brand new for Peter, and he's like, "Oh, I love this stuff!" And he's like hitting the shrimp ring hard. Pigs in a blanket. First time Peter's ever been introduced to pigs in a blanket. Life is good. Pulled pork sandwiches. Wait a minute. Jews weren't allowed to eat pigs because pigs were dirty. No, no, no. But grace what, has freed us. And there's this party and they're enjoying and they're, they're experiencing all of this for the first time. And then what happens is that there are some individuals, Jewish believers, who in a sense are more of a, a strict adherence They come into town and Peter, mid-stride, sees them and he buckles. Rather than standing firm in the liberty of grace, he sees them. He has this automatic desire to appeal to them, to appease them. And what does it cause him to do? It causes him to, to, to kind of slyly and silently slip away. It actually uses this phrase in verse 12. It says, he drew back and he separated himself. This Greek word implies it's a strategic military withdrawal. It's a verb that implies that it was, it was in quietness. There was a, a sneakiness to it. A deliberate Deceptive, well, I'm just kind of worming my way to the back and I'm going to disappear. That's what Peter did. Now, throughout the course of this week, I have an inquiring mind. It's a tormenting mind at times. And I am compelled to ask the question, why is it that a few men from Jerusalem caused Peter? This is Peter. Why is it that a couple people from Jerusalem caused him to cave as opposed to stand on the gospel of liberty. Why? Herein lies the weakness of a great man. Hear me on this. Peter still desired to please man over pleasing God. That's what happens. 
just like you and I. At times, we are more concerned about what other people think about us than we are concerned about what the creator and the sustainer of the entire universe thinks about us. Bottom line, what? Call it, call it what you want. I will call it what it is. Behaving one way around certain people and another way around other people is what? It's hypocrisy. The number one criticism that is labeled against the church of Jesus Christ today is what? They're all hypocrites. Matter of fact, the exact word is used twice in verse 13. What is the result here of Peter behaving hypocritically? Wait a minute. It causes Barnabas. Barnabas to behave hypocritically. As a result of Peter and Barnabas behaving hypocritically, what? There are others that follow them. So much so it says in verse 14, what? What? There are others who are not in step with the truth of the gospel. There's this, there's this waterfall, this watershed effect. Peter deviates, number two, Paul. Thankfully, Paul directs Peter back to the truth of the gospel. What's the truth of the gospel? Justification comes through the work of Christ, not through the works of man. So Peter directs, excuse me, Paul directs Peter back to the truth of the gospel and assures him of God's grace. Paul knows what's happening. So serious is this matter that it has to be addressed. It must be addressed. Now, I don't know about if you pick up on it or not, but it, it reads kind of blunt. Okay, it, it, there almost, there's almost a tone of, of harshness to it. But let me tell you this, it is so, so necessary. Here it is, when, when Peter came to Antioch, Paul says, I, I opposed him to his face. Because he stood condemned. Wow. Wait a minute. This is more than you got a little egg on your face. This is what? Okay, you've got to, you've got to get the picture. I don't know why. We'll know this for sure when we get to heaven. I just see Peter as a big man, like physically a big man. I, I see Paul as kind of maybe a little smaller. And so you got Peter. He is what? Muscled and callous. He's the rough, tough, loud fisherman. Peter. And then you got Paul. We don't know for sure. Kind of thinning, probably little glasses, little iPad around, bow tie on, fountain pen. And you got you got Paul going toe to toe, face to face with Peter. And he does it because he has the authority to do it. And he does it because what he cares. Not only for Peter, but he cares for those that are being affected by Peter. Many would, would say, well, how, how dare Paul? Who does, who does Paul think he is? We hear, we hear, actually, in our culture today, in our society, we actually hear Jesus quoted regularly on this. Okay? We hear it all the time. People all over the world, everyone knows the words of Jesus that he says in Matthew chapter 7, judge not that you be not judged. So what happens is that everyone yanks that out of context and says, don't ever address anything under any circumstance. Judge not that you be not judged. 
wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know what that means? That means you don't speak to anyone until you first examine your own heart and life. Don't, don't look for the speck in, in that man's eye because you've got a log hanging out in your eye. That's the context of Jesus speaking We have a responsibility. Do you realize that? Why does this thing work? Why does relationships work with the local church? Because we care about one another. Later on, we'll spend more time on it. But in the the last chapter, Galatians chapter 6, in verse 1, it says this. If anyone is caught in any transgression. Another translation is anyone is ensnared in sin. It says what you, which are spiritual, should restore them. You have a responsibility. So do I. You got egg all over your face, man. You can't go out like that. You can't, you can't call yourself a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and live however you want to live. I can't let you do that. Christ teaches in Matthew chapter 18, if your brother sins against you, what are you supposed to do? Well, don't ever say anything to anyone because you don't want to upset. No, it says you go to him and you tell him his faults. And if he listens to you, you've gained a brother. Do you realize that Paul is modeling for us how life ought to take place, how we ought to function in the context of the local church, this relationship idea that we champion all over the place, this is what it looks like. Now, does that mean that we automatically are spiritual policemen where we go around and we're all of a sudden just just correcting everything? No, don't ever, ever look for the speck in that person's eye until you examine your own life. We have to be we have to we have to do this with great care. Get the strawberry jam off your own chin before you talk to that guy. What do we learn from this? We have, in a sense, the, the, the backstory, the narrative lessons we learn. Lesson number one, understand this. Even good and godly people stumble and fall into sin. It's a reality. Our hero is fallible. The giant stumbles. It is absolutely essential at times, especially like this, to keep the truth in mind that the very best of men are still men at best. Scripture is filled to overflowing with the fallen lives of people who live in a fallen world. And yet for some reason, God delights and he's able to take those lives And he's able to build them back up in his grace and use them for his glory. You and I are testimonies of the fact that God regularly uses imperfect people. The list is long. Noah got drunk. Abraham slept with his wife's handmaiden. We know that Jacob lied. Joseph bragged. Moses lost his temper on more than one occasion. David committed adultery and then murdered a man. Elijah ran in fear and pouted and whined. Jonah bolted opposite direction that he was told. James and John, both of them bragged. And Peter, oh, 
Peter, Peter so desperately, so desperately wanted to be righteous. And yet even Peter, upon this church, upon this rock, I will build my church. Even Peter stumbled and he fell. But you and I connect with that. You and I relate with that. As a kid growing up, I didn't really like to read a lot of books with the exception of biographies. I always enjoyed reading biographies. Famous people, statesmen, athletes, artists, didn't matter. Reading stories of war heroes, John Paul Jones, I've not yet begun to fight. Remember that? William Carey, the great missionary. Roger Staubach, the greatest quarterback to ever live in the history of the world. Even now I'm reading biographies on, on Martin Lloyd-Jones and, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. What's amazing about the real-life stories, biographies, is that when a biography talks about the failures and the mistakes... We, we identify, I connect with that. We all connect with that. That's exactly what we're learning from here. Even, even the author, Paul, refers to himself on two separate occasions. First Timothy 1 and Philippians chapter 3. Why, I am the chief of all sinners. Paul says the things that I want to do, I don't do. Things I don't want to do, that's what I do. You and I identify with that. Now, rather than what, being disheartened, Everyone's got dents and chinks in their armor. Well, the whole well, the whole thing's just blowing up. Now, what does this force us to do? To keep our eyes fixed on one without any chinks in his armor. We are to focus, what? On one who has never stumbled. One who has never sinned. Fix your eyes on the author and the finisher, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Romans chapter 5 says it like this, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. I love in some translations actually it, it differentiates in it and it uses what? By one man's disobedience and it's a lowercase m, it's a little m. And then it says by one man, okay, uppercase capital M. This isn't just like any other man like you and I who stumble and struggle and fall all the time. This is the man. The God man. Praise Jesus. Lesson number two, one cannot stumble into sin without hurting and misleading others. Okay, my sin automatically affects my wife. My sin automatically affects my son and my daughter. My sin automatically affects my neighbors. My choices, my actions, my sinfulness automatically affects an entire body of believers. We don't function, we don't exist as islands. Peter's actions have an impact in a negative sense on other people. When the ship sinks, think about this ferry off the coast of South Korea. What? It it capsized. Hundreds are drawn in and perish. Pastor Sin and entire church reels. A father neglects his responsibilities 
that God has given to him. A father chooses to disobey. An entire family will reel in the pain of their father's decisions. What happens here? Peter sins, and and, and who, who is it? It says that Barnabas, wait a minute, this is Barnabas. This is the son of comfort, the son of consolation. He's the affirmer, the consoler. He's the one, if you recall, it says in Acts chapter 11, was a good man. He's full of the Holy Spirit. And Barnabas gets sucked in. Others fall as a result and behave hypocritically. Lesson for you and I, the lesson here is this. None of us can rest on our laurels. None of us for a moment can say, you know what? Well, I have really been logging some faithful years here. We can't rest on past successes. That is no guarantee for future obedience. Collisions and chaos and catastrophe can result if we don't walk, what, according to the Word of God, and we don't, what, surrender and submit to the Spirit of God. Don't ever be so naive to think that you are beyond, that it's only someone else who can struggle and stumble. What did, what, what did Jesus pray in Mark chapter 14? What did Jesus say, I should say? Mark chapter 14, verse 38, watch and pray. Wow. Put that, dads and moms. Put that everywhere. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then he makes this statement, what the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We are fallen people who live in a fallen world. When we stumble and, and struggle, when we sin, it hurts others in addition to ourselves. Third lesson, we must confront people who have stumbled in sin with love and with the authority of the gospel. It makes perfect sense that it was the Apostle Paul who wrote in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, what you're to speak the truth in love. Church is made up of what? A host of diverse people. We're all different. But what's interesting and unique about the church and why this thing works so well is that we need one another. It is amazing to see that at the beginning of Paul's life, his Christian walk, it was Barnabas who comes. Remember that? Acts 11, Acts 12. Barnabas who comes and and helps Paul. Now, Paul is the one who kind of shores up a faltering Barnabas. Why is this so true? Why is this so important? Why does Paul even speak into this? Because what's at hand here? They have deviated from the truth of the gospel. You can't add works. You can't just pretend to say, well, I'll behave like this around these people and then behave like this. No, it doesn't work like that. The truth is is at hand here. Someone wrote this. I don't know who, so I can't attribute, but it wasn't me. It's a lot wiser than my words. When the truth goes, the gospel goes. When the gospel goes, the souls of men perish. So what's big picture? What's at stake? The souls of mankind are at risk. And that's why Paul comes in and says what? I opposed him to his face. New King James actually says, I said unto Peter before everyone. Wait a minute, doesn't it? 
doesn't it say you go to him and, and to him alone? Wait a minute. If, if Peter is a, what, he's an influencer, he's in a position of leadership, he's a public figure, oftentimes, sadly, although those that sin in public, they need to be confronted publicly. And that's what happens right here. Paul's intent is not to humiliate, to debase, or to deface him, not to rub his nose in it. But he's, but he's, but he's bold here, and, and, and it's necessary. Why? Because the truth. What is Paul doing? He is modeling for us the, the careful ministry of confrontation, and it is a dying art. Everyone wants to avoid confrontation under all costs. And so we just continue to move around and we leave sin existing. And sin, like a cancer, will grow, it will infect, it will destroy, it will kill. And so that's why it's so important. The whole body suffers when the sickness of sin is left. Let me ask you this, and you personally know in your own heart. Do you have a brother or a sister? This is not the world, okay? Unbelievers behaving like unbelievers. It's not what we're talking about. This is not the world behaving like the world. This is not blinded people acting blindly. This is about brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you have a brother who is what? Caught up in sin. Do you have a sister who's, who has walked away from fellowship. You need to love them. You need to go to them. You need to talk with them. You need to pray with them. You have to say, what? I care for you. You can't walk around like that. Fourthly and finally, God's sovereign will is going to be accomplished even when people stumble in sin. You have to know this. God's sovereign will is going to be accomplished even when people stumble and sin. God's perfect will is what? God's sovereign will is that every single person would hear the truth of the gospel. Every person is offered extended forgiveness, is offered what? A message of grace. Every person, in a sense, is offered a message of hope. It says what? That he is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. We, we also know that God understands that people are going to fail, and it is more important than ever to speak the truth of love to them. And understand this, even when people fail, it allows an opportunity for what? The truth to be spoken, for the gospel to be spoken. And the gospel ultimately will continue to go forward. God in his sovereign will is going to what? Make sure it is accomplished. It, the focus is all on the Lord. It's all about God. Paul understands this. That's why he, he writes, he, he concludes with this. I have been crucified with Christ. I, I, I'm dead. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Then he makes this powerful statement. I do not nullify the grace of God. I don't take grace and set it aside. I don't ignore grace. I don't let people continue to just wallow in their sin. Why? Because I offer them a message of forgiveness. And it's message of forgiveness that the grace cleanses and cleans, picks them back up and puts them on the track 
of following a holy God and pursuing righteousness. If justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. We understand the truth of the gospel. Justification does not come when we work for God, but when we trust Christ and the work that he has already done. In closing, I I love, not necessarily in this context of Galatians 2, we're not told the words, it's not recorded the exact words of what Peter said. Did he say anything? But what we are told in in the latter years of Peter's ministry is that we understand that Peter obviously was restored. 1 Peter and 2 Peter, he writes, particularly in 1 Peter, the entire theme of 1 Peter is even listed by word in, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12. It is the true grace of God. Peter Peter. Peter gets it. Matter of fact, every single chapter of 1 Peter, the word grace is used. And we know ultimately that although it may seem somewhat chippy here between Paul and, and Peter, Peter is restored to fellowship and we know that their friendship, that the relationship as brothers was locked. I close with what Peter writes himself in 2 Peter chapter 3, some of the last words that are recorded by way of his written. It says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spots or blemish. Peter challenges ones to pursue holiness and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom that was given to him. Peter actually concludes with what? That's my beloved brother because he spoke to me when I needed it. He directed me. He guided me. Exact same responsibility that you and I understand. We have been recipients of God's grace. We are to be messengers to others of God's grace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I would ask, Lord, that you would give to us wisdom and discernment in how we, we care for one another, how we love one another, how we speak truth to one another. Lord, so that you are glorified. Above all, through all, in all, that you are glorified. That is our prayer. We leave with you now. Give us the strength to be obedient. In your name we pray. Amen.